0: Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash detectives If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. Today, I do want to go ahead and highlight our YouTube channel. Now, I tend primarily, and I think most of you t- do too, to think of YouTube as something you access with your computer or with your mobile device. However, I was going over uh, my report from YouTube and was surprised to find out that one out of every seven views on my YouTube channel came from a television. With newer smart TVs, like Roku TVs, you can add the YouTube app and then be able to access anything on YouTube. And I know in the past, I've received emails from folks who wanted to share the program with someone who was a little bit less tech savvy. And if they've got a smart TV, our YouTube channel is a really good solution for that. Now, I have also been looking around to find someone to design a great detective's app for Roku and for uh, the Fire TV, but I've not had any luck yet. However, in the meantime, if someone just isn't into podcasting but can use YouTube on their TV, I'd encourage you to refer them to the YouTube channel. And you can find that by searching for Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. And again, I will let you guys know if I'm able to get a smart TV app developed, because I certainly would like to do that. Now it's time for the conclusion of this week's Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar Serial. Here are episodes 3, 4, and 5 of the Laird Douglas, Douglas of Heatherscope matter, with the... Uh, Original air dates of April 11th to 13th of 1956. Let's go ahead and take a listen. From Hollywood, it's time now for...
1: Johnny Deller.
2: Lieutenant Steve
3: Howard, homicide. I found word to call you there at your hotel.
1: Right. I'm an insurance investigator, Lieutenant, and... Yeah, I've heard of you. Uh, Can I help you? Well, I understand you're the man who handled a murder case at the Bala Kinwood Dog Show last year. That's
3: right. Uh, we're still working on
1: it. Oh, fine. Like to look over the setup for an attempted murder?
3: Uh-huh. Oh? Who? Me. Stay right there, Mr. Dollar. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours
1: truly, Johnny Dollar. (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Philadelphia Mutual Liability and Casualty Company. Following is an accounting of expenditures incurred during my investigation of the Laird Douglas Douglas of Hetherscoat matter. And at this point, that name is no joke. Expense account item three, 70 cents, cab fare. From the office of Harry Branson to my hotel. It was at Harry's office that I got the craziest assignment I'd ever taken. Bodyguard to Laird Douglas Douglas of Hediscote, who turned out to be a dog. And I mean that literally. A purebred Scottish terrier who rated high enough and dogged him for somebody to make a couple of attempts on his life. Right now, it looked like somebody wanted me to be next. Uh, What's all this talk about an attempt on your life? Here, Lieutenant... Take a look at this handbag of mine. Huh? Wait, don't touch it. Huh? I left it here on this little luggage stand about an hour ago, right after I checked in. Only before I left it, I opened it and took out my gun. So? So when I got back, just before I called you, I found the bag as you see it now, locked again. Oh, now look here, Mr. Yeah, I know, I know. But if a chambermaid had been in here, there would have been other signs. You know, bed turned down, fresh towels in the bath, things like that. Boy, you're a suspicious man you sure you didn't lock it yourself after taking your gun I'm up? sure. Anyhow, instead of opening it, I started to pick it up to put it on the bed to unpack. Here now, you lift it. Why? Because it weighs close to 25 pounds, and that's too much for nothing but an extra suit, a few shirts and shorts, some handkerchiefs and the like. You check with the desk? No collars that they know about. Well, let me see. Yeah, that is pretty heavy. And it doesn't tick. Now... Look here. Yeah? Do you see where somebody on the fire escape used a pry bar to shove this window open?
3: Well, yeah. And those marks are fresh. Very fresh. Operator, get me Central Police.
1: Expense account item four, check for twenty-nine fifty to the nearest Bond clothing store for one pair of trousers to replace those torn by Laird Douglas Douglas of what's-his-name when I'd first met him in Harry's office. Item five, phone call to Mrs. Peter Malcolm Kelly Van Pyton.
4: Well, don't you worry, Mr. Dollar. If you're delayed, you're delayed, and we'll just expect you here at the Maples when you get here. Your suite is all ready and waiting for you. I'll be
1: there as soon as I can.
4: Oh, I do hope you've had a suit made to replace those trousers, little Laird Douglas Tor. Why don't you have a couple of suits made and just charge them to
1: me? Thanks. Maybe I'll get around to that. Goodbye, Mrs. Van Puyten. First of all, I had to know what Lieutenant Howard found out about the suitcase he'd had his lab crew pick up. I took a taxi to headquarters. That's item 8, 65 cents.
3: Why glad to see you, Dollar. Sit down. Well, what'd you find out? Dollar, that bag of yours had enough soup in it to blow out half the side of your hotel. Oh, then I was right. Yeah, professional job, too. Straight wire rig that would have gone off when you opened the bag. Brother, I guess my lucky star is in the ascendant. <sighs> what made you suspect a booby
1: trap, Dollar? Last year and a few days ago, somebody tried to poison a dog. Well, do I know? Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscoat, Blue Ribbon Scotty, belonging to Mrs. Peter Malcolm, Malcolm Kelly, Kelly Van
3: Pyteman. Yeah. Right. Apparently, the whole reason for it was to keep the pooch from winning the best of show at the annual dog festival, or whatever you want to call it, out at Bella So I've heard. I
1: think it was more than that. Oh, wait a minute. Now, don't tell me you subscribe to the idea that if the dog were to die, Mrs. Kelly Van Pyten would probably kick off, too. No question about it.
3: <sighs> okay. Well, you don't know her yet, or you wouldn't be so skeptical. Her whole life revolves about that dog. And her money, of course. Now, from what I've seen, she just throws that away. Of course she does. At least in small quantities. You know, a thousand or two here or there, even a hundred thousand to some school or library or something where it'll show. But even that's only a drop in the bucket to her. Lieutenant, I don't quite see what you're driving at. Well, she is one of the remnants of a class in this country, fast dying out, thank goodness, that for generations has been cultured and conditioned into thinking that money is everything, that their whole destiny is to control vast industries, lands, railroads, oil, shipping, and people. People, dollar by means of their sheer financial prowess.
1: But I thought our present
4: tax Yeah, situation... sure,
3: their day is almost done, but the few who are still around, like Mrs. Kelly Van Pytten, are hanging on for dear life, trying to add to their power.
1: <laughs> hey, Steve, you make a sweet, gabby, eccentric old lady sound like an ogre. She is, no question. I'm sure she doesn't realize it. Simply because this whole attitude has been so thoroughly ingrained into her all her life? That's right. Oh, well, we'll see. Yeah, you'll see. Well, look, let's get to the point... Who do you think might be trying to get rid of the old
3: lady? I haven't the least idea. Well, uh, no family? Relatives? Only living relative is her nephew, Warren Staley. Ah. Nothing. You sure? I haven't been able to pin a thing on him.
1: Where can I find this Warren Staley? At the Maples. He lives there with her, huh? Yep. And you're sure he would be her only beneficiary? Yep. Ah huh. Uh uh. Good luck, Dollar. Lieutenant Howard seemed to know what he was talking about. Nonetheless, I decided that the nephew, Warren Staley, would at least be a start. And the sooner I could move in at the Maples, the better. Item 9, 780, cab fares, back to my hotel and out to the Maples in the suburb of Germantown. When I first saw the place, I could hardly believe my eyes. It looked like a regular castle perched atop a small hill. Even the gatehouse, nearly half a mile from the mansion, was big enough to house several families. But the mansion itself... Wow. A rather stuffy-looking butler, after practically climbing up my family tree, escorted me to the reading room. This is Kelly Van Pyton and guess who? Whoops! Oh! Easy now, Doug.
4: Oh, Mr. Dollar, I'm so glad you're here. And look, he remembers you. Yeah, it is. Isn't that sweet? Yeah,
1: it is. boy, Doug. Easy oh,
4: now. and please call him Douglas. Huh? After all, the name Doug sounds so common, doesn't it?
1: Oh, you really think he cares, Mrs. Van Pytten?
4: Huh? Oh, you're joking, aren't you? Yeah. Mr. Branson said you had quite a sense of humor. Now, did Hastings show you to your suite?
1: The butler? No, but he took my things.
4: Then I'll show you. I'm sure you'll love it and be quite comfortable. This way, please.
1: Yes. Uh, you coming, Doug... Uh, Douglas? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Okay. Oh,
4: do you see how happy he is having you here? I am too, Mr. Duller. Now we just... Oh, Warren, darling. Huh? Hello, Santa. Mr. Dollar, this is my little nephew, Warren Staley.
1: Warren was 25 or so, bright, good-looking, and well but comfortably dressed. And at Mrs. Van Pytten's orders, he took me up to my suite. Living room, study, breakfast room, bath, and bedroom. And it's still occupied only a small part of the second
5: floor. Now, here next to you are Dougie's rooms. Wow. One for sleeping and one for eating. Can you tie that? A dining room for a dog. <laughs> and uh, through that door is Mademoiselle Poirot, his uh, governess. She feeds and bathes him.
1: And that's a full-time job?
5: Oh, sure. Most pampered dog in the country.
1: Brother, I'll go with you on that.
5: No doubt Tonto will ask you to keep this connecting door open at night.
1: Hey, sit down a minute, Warren. I'd like to talk to
5: you. Sure. I hope you're impressed by all this. Are you kidding? <laughs> and Tonda will love you dearly. Say, would you like a drink? There's a cellar here for your convenience.
1: Oh, sure, scotch and soda.
5: Good. Rather foolish, though, isn't it? All of it? What do you mean? Oh, it's such nonsense to keep up an estate like this just to keep pace, so to speak.
1: Well, she can afford it, can't she? Are you kidding? You sound as though you don't enjoy this life of luxury.
5: Yeah, here's a drink. Enforced luxury to keep up the honor of the family. And I resent it. Oh, Without ever having to lift a finger, do an honest day's work. When she's gone, I'll be one of the wealthiest men in the country. That's bad, huh? Do you think it's strange that a fellow would like to stand on his own feet for a change, make something of himself, by himself? Well, why
1: not just pack up and leave?
5: (laughs) You don't know Tanta. No, I guess I don't. Oh, it's really more than that. I'm the only member of this family left, aside from Tanta.
1: So I understand.
5: I'm the only one left to carry on the Van Pytten Empire. Drink up.
1: Wait a minute. Branson used that term, too.
5: Yes, Empire. Not only enough security to sink a battleship, but controlling rights in steel, utilities, and most important of all, East Morland oil. I see. And what's most important about that is that I'll survive to keep control of East Morland from Kenworthy.
1: Harrison R. Kenworthy.
5: Yeah? There's been a battle over East Morland oil for for generations between the Van Pythons and the Kenworthys. Say, tell me, does Kenworthy have any heirs? One. His son, Ronald. I see. What sort of a fellow was he? Good friend of mine. We waste a lot of our time together. Oh, uh, drink up, Mr. Dower. I'm ready for another, and you haven't even touched yours. Yeah,
1: well, listen. I'm going to lay some cards on the table. Sure. Somebody's been trying to get at Laird Douglas, the dog. Presumably, as a way of getting at your aunt.
5: It's true. If anything would to happen to little Dougie... Okay,
1: okay. I'll take your word for it. Now, because of the intense rivalry between your aunt and Kenworthy... Or rather, between Laird Douglas and his pup, Lady O'Diddy's Mimi or whatever her name is. Anyway, Kenworthy should be number one suspect.
5: When you know him, you'll cross him off your list.
1: So Lieutenant Howard has told me.
5: But, uh, go on. All
1: right, all right. As sole beneficiary of the Van Pytten Empire, as you call it, you come in as fast number two on the
5: list. I can understand that.
1: But unless everything you've told me is a fancy fairy tale to throw me off, then...
5: Every... everything I've told you is... It's true, Mr. Dollar. Hey, what's the I... matter with you? Nothing. Go on.
1: Okay. And mind you, Warren, I'm not forgetting for a minute that there's been a couple of murders involved in this whole screwy business. Plus an attempt on my own life.
5: Attempt on. on you. Dollar? Hey, hey, what gives you. That... Are you
1: plastering on a little over one no, drink?
5: No, listen to me. I know. Now I. know, and I. Can tell you, dollar. Tell me what? The answer, the, the whole thing, dollar. Warren, what's the matter with you? I can't, I can't breathe. Hey, you, Warren. A, a drink meant for you. Don't touch.
1: He died without another sound. I carefully sniffed the drink that had been poured for me. Gingerly tasted it. Nothing. Nothing that I could spot. Yeah, poor Warren had probably been right. Whatever it was had no doubt been meant for me. Johnny Dollar. Lieutenant Howard, homicide. Oh, hi, Steve. Hi.
3: You know, I've given orders for you to be confined to your suite out there at the Maples until I can get some of the lap crew out
1: there. You don't think I murdered Warren Staley?
3: Apparently, you were the only one who was with him when he
1: died. Now look here, I'm the one who's kept even the family out of here. What's
3: more important, you're the only one on the whole estate who might be trusted to keep things intact. Any possible evidence. So please don't leave your room.
1: Okay, diplomat, I'll sit tight. <laughs> Expense account, or rather report, submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To the Philadelphia Mutual Liability and Casualty Company, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in connection with my investigation of the Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscote matter. No need to itemize expenses at this point, because there are none. The magnificent suite in which I'm parked, out at the sumptuous mansion of Mrs. Peter Malcolm Kelly Van Pyton, is fine except for the body of young Warren Staley, Mrs. Van Pytten's nephew... draped over the arm of the easy chair in which he died a few minutes ago. I'd called Lieutenant Howard at homicide on the phone in my room immediately... and within minutes, the nearest patrolman was stationed outside my door... refusing admittance even to the lady of the house. After all, this was the third murder that tied up with the Scottish Terrier who started all this... Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscote. While waiting for Lieutenant Howard and his crew, I shaved, showered, and changed my clothes... Then, about ten minutes later. Well, Dollar. Yeah, Lieutenant. Well, ah. see what you mean.
3: Yeah. He seemed like a nice kid, too. He's all yours, Doctor. Go right ahead.
5: Very well, Lieutenant. Here, Paul, just sit. Okay, for pictures, Lieutenant.
3: Yeah, yeah, go right ahead, Sergeant. Okay,
5: excuse me, Doc. Before
2: hey, you get started.
3: Okay, Dollar, let's have it. What happened? Well,
1: Warren brought me up here himself, and I sat him down to ask him some questions. You suspected him, didn't you? In spite of what I told you. Sure. A sole beneficiary of the Van Pytten Estate Empire, as he called it. Yeah, well, what do you think now? But you were right... That he was clean.
3: Anyhow...
6: My boy, my poor darling Warren, where is he? No, take your
4: hands off me. My uh, just boy Just a minute, Mr. No, you can't keep me out. This well, is my own house and this is my own uh, yes, nephew, I, I'm my sorry, boy. but you'll have to wait until we can get oh, everything Oh, this clear. terrible, admit, terrible
3: Vampire, thing Just, wait until we just a minute, Lieutenant. Hey,
1: whoa, young fellow, hold on a minute. Who are you? Johnny
6: Dollar, who are you? Ronald Kenworthy, his best friend. What happened to him? He was poisoned. Poisoned? And where were you? How could a thing like this happen if you were doing Oh,
1: Ronnie, just calm down a minute. How long have you been here in the house?
6: Why, half, three quarters of an hour, something like that. But I don't see... Where? Where were you? I was down in the reading room with Mrs. Van Pyton.
1: All the time?
6: Then out in the garden. Alone? Yes, except for a few minutes while I talked to Hastings, the butler out there. What were you doing in the garden? I was on my way up here by the back way to see Warren. I've always used the back staircase from the garden ever since we were kids together. This suite of rooms used to be our playroom, ever since I can remember. All
1: right, all right. Go on with what you were
6: saying. Well, then about that time, or a few minutes later, I don't know exactly, I heard the police car come screaming up the driveway. That was the first that any of us, Mrs. Van oh, Pytten or Hastings or I, that any of us knew that something was wrong, that something had happened to Warren. But now look here, Mr. Well, Dollar, right, I don't... All
3: right, you, you too. What? You'll have to leave with Mrs. Van Pytten until we're thrown here. Oh,
4: please, Ronald, help me. Help me. Well, I...
1: Go ahead, Ronnie, go ahead. <laughs>
4: All right. Oh,
6: come on, you poor old
3: dame. Ah, poor old dame. Sorry for her. You finding anything, Doc?
5: Yes, I think so. I certainly think so. Be with you in a minute.
3: All right.
1: You better go on with what you were saying, Dollar. Well, not much more to say, Lieutenant. Warren felt the same way you do, that Branson at the insurance company does. If anything happened to the dog, Laird Douglas, it'd be the end of Mrs. Van Pyton. That the murders of the dog's handlers, caretakers, were purely incidental to attempts on the dog's life. What? But, but what? Well, he apparently was as concerned over this whole thing as we've been. Said he had a very strong theory about who might be back of all this. Who? Oh, did he tell you? He was about to when this, whatever it was, hit him.
5: Well, I'll tell you what it was, Lieutenant.
1: Yeah, Doc. Oh, uh, this is Mr. Dollar.
5: Oh, yeah, Doc. Dollar. acid. Same thing that killed the two dog handlers and was used on the dog itself. I can tell without further examination... So wait a minute, Doc,
1: wait a minute. If the dog got the same thing that killed a couple of grown
5: men... A dog with a much more sensitive stomach, unused to all the strong food and drinks the human stomach is constantly abused with, the dog would immediately regurgitate and retain only a minute amount of the panorphic acid. I see. In the case of Warren Staley here, it was added to the Scotch whiskey he drank. Traces of it in his glass and in a full glass beside your chair.
3: Well, Doc, have you checked those bottles in the cellar, am right?
5: uh, Just about to. Uh,
3: uh, which uh, bottle did he pour that out of, Dollar? The one right next to that bottle of V.O. there. He...
1: Wait a minute. This isn't the same bottle. What? Well, the one he poured from was half empty. This is nearly full.
3: Hey, now, what's the matter with you boys? That's up. You let somebody switch bottles a minute ago?
1: Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Nobody
3: else came in here besides Mrs.
1: Van Payton and young Kenworthy? Hastings the butler, but he just stood in the doorway.
5: That's right, Lieutenant.
3: Yet somehow, between the time Warren Staley poured those drinks and now, somebody switched bottles. Unless you're wrong about this, Dollar.
5: No sign of the poison in this one, Lieutenant. It's the only scotch bottle.
1: You've been here in the room all this time, Dollar? Yeah, sure. And in the bath. I shaved and showered and dressed while waiting for you to get here. But only after one of your men came and parked outside the door. Well, where does this door lead to? Well, it's the dog's quarters.
3: Two rooms. Oh, I see. Come on, Dollar. You might wait for us. Yeah, I'll be What about that door beyond? Oh, that.
1: Mademoiselle Poirot, the dog's governess. Oh, well, where was she? How should I know? I didn't even meet her. I... Oh, oh,
4: oh. Wait. oh
1: wait. Ah, the Follies-Bajer. Yeah,
3: I, I guess I should have knocked.
4: Who are you? Why, you come in this way while I'm dressed myself? Uh,
3: uh, sorry, mademoiselle. We're the police.
4: Police? What have I done that you should see me this way? Well,
3: nothing, ma'am, nothing. But, but how long have you been there in your room?
4: I in the back way to change my clothes.
1: Yeah, that was
3: obvious.
4: It's my day off. I have big dates.
3: Well, not now you haven't. Get dressed and I'll send an officer in to escort you downstairs. Come on, darling.
4: No, you cannot do this to me. I've done nothing wrong. You cannot make me stay here.
3: Say, Pete, send somebody around the back way to cover the governess and take her downstairs for questioning.
4: Yes, sir. Hey,
3: And Johnny, looks like you goofed. Hmm? While you were showering, somebody came in through her room through the dog's quarters and did the bottle switch on us.
1: Oh, well, then we're even. Yeah, we're... What? You have very carefully must up any fingerprints that might have been on those doorknobs. Oh. Uh,
3: Jerry, see if you can get any prints off those doorknobs back there.
2: Right.
3: If I haven't wrecked them. But, Johnny, if I didn't know about you and your reputation, I'd peg this on you so fast, you'd... You haven't been holding out on me, have you?
1: I assured him that I hadn't. Then went downstairs to the monstrous living room and sat in while we went through a routine questioning of everyone in the household. I even went through the motions of bodyguarding the dog that had started all this and tried to console Mrs. Van Pyton. Results of the questioning? Nothing, darling. Nothing. No leads. Yeah, so I noticed. The two previous murders of the dogs, caretakers or bodyguards, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, well, same poison was used then. In their food
3: as well as the dogs. But why?
1: Why, Steve? Why?
3: Why they? To keep them from helping Laird Douglas when it hit him? Well, more likely because those handlers had got wind of the attempt to poison the dog and suspected who was trying to do it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah.
3: See, there's one thing you're overlooking, darling. What's that? The intended victim of this last poisoning was not Warren Staley... But you...
1: Oh, brother, I'm not overlooking that for one second. Yeah,
3: and that's why I asked you if you were holding out anything on me. Because it would indicate that you have a lead.
1: Or at least suspicion about someone. Sure, sure, I got a lot of suspicions. Ronald Kenworthy, his old man. The butler, heaven help us. Even Mrs. Van Python. <laughs> Maybe even you, Steve. But when it comes to evidence... Huh? Yeah, I know what you mean... Well, I've got work to do. Looking for the proverbial needle in a haystack was nothing compared to hunting for the poison bottle of scotch that was no doubt stashed away somewhere. Far, far into the night, a regular army of policemen probed and dug and poked around. They opened drawers and closets and cabinets, pounded on walls, looking for sliding panels and secret compartments, went through the trash, sifted a trash heap, dug up any freshly turned earth they could find on the grounds even climbed trees. Yeah, they prowled through attics and basements looked everywhere. Result? Nothing. Meanwhile, I stayed close to Mrs. Van Pytten. And I'll say this for her. In spite of her almost silly infatuation with that dog, she showed real strength of character. We sat alone together in the reading room.
4: I know, Mr. Dollar. There's nothing I can do to bring Warren back. Therefore, there's no point in simply sitting here weeping over it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true.
4: But it isn't easy because it meant more. <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: I, um... Uh, I want to ask you some things, Mrs. Van Puyton. I suppose this is the wrong time, but I...
4: No, ask me, Mr. Dollar. I think I know what you want to ask. And now... Now that this last terrible thing has happened... I hope, I... I pray that I can help you.
1: Well, I had quite a talk with Warren before he died.
4: Oh. Oh, I'm I'm glad.
1: Warren would have been the sole heir to the Van Pytten estate.
4: Yes. He alone would have carried the honor, the prestige of the family... after my passing. Oh, no. Surely who didn't think that he could have been behind those other terrible murders? Quite
1: frankly, at first I did. But he told me something else, and it's bothered me. About Mr. Kenworthy and his son.
4: Ronald? Oh, no, Mr. Dollar. He was supposed to be Warren's best friend.
1: You said, supposed to be.
4: Well, I... I Warren don't. made it
1: very clear that if the Kenworthys could somehow acquire the Van Pytten Holdings, either by Mr. Kenworthy marrying you...
4: I have told Harrison R. Kenworthy... Yes, I know.
1: If Laird Douglas wins the show from his Kerry Blue Terrier, you'll marry him. Yes. And I still think it's a screwy idea. But the fact remains, it's fairly true. It's
4: quite true.
1: Neither you nor Mr. Kenworthy has too many years ahead, if you'll forgive me.
4: Mr. Dollar, what... So
1: there's now only one person left to benefit by the death of Laird Douglas, of Warren, of you, and ultimately of Mr. Kenworthy.
4: Good heavens, Mr. Dollar. That's
1: right. Ronald Kenworthy. Well?
4: I know. I know it.
6: I think you've said enough, Mr. Dollar. Ronald! Yes, I heard it all. Mr. Dollar, I think you've said too much for... Shall we say your health?
1: Johnny Dollar.
2: Ronald Kenworthy, Mr. Dollar.
1: Good. I want to talk to you. Are you at your home? I am. And after the... Okay, then stay right there and I'll be able to see you.
6: Why don't you send the police instead?
1: What's that supposed to mean? A few minutes ago in Mrs. Van Pytten's library, before
6: you kicked me out, you practically accused me of the murder of her nephew.
1: Did I? Well, didn't you? Didn't you? All right, Ronnie, just calm down and stay put until I can get over there.
6: (laughs) You mean you aren't afraid I might try to take a powder, as you high-handed detectives like to put it? You mean you aren't worried
2: that... (laughs) Ah! (laughs) Ah!
1: expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Philadelphia Mutual Liability and Casualty Company. Following is the final report in my investigation of the Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscope matter. The whole case started out almost as a lark when I discovered that I'd come to Philadelphia to act as bodyguard to Laird Douglas Douglas and for a fat fee and virtually unlimited expense accounts. Me, bodyguard to a dog. But it ceased to be funny when I learned that the dog's two previous caretakers had been murdered. And when, only a few hours ago, an attempt was made on my life that ended with the death of young Warren Staley.
4: Yes, Mr. Dollar, I see. I guess I was so upset by the death of my nephew that I... I didn't realize the attempt was really made on your life.
1: The second attempt, Mrs. Van Pytten. What? Shortly after I arrived in Philadelphia, somebody planted a booby trap in my suitcase in my hotel room.
4: Good heavens, no. And you think that Ronald Kenworthy did that, too?
1: Well, what do you think?
4: Well, yes. Now that poor dear Warren is gone, there's nothing to prevent the Kenworthy estate from achieving control of the Van Python holdings. That is, if I were to die. Go on. Upon the death of Harrison Kenworthy, the whole financial empire would be inherited by his son, Ronald. So I understand. Ronald... And he would be the wealthiest, the most powerful man financially in the United States. Ronald, who pretended to be Warren's best friend. Who pretended to love me. It's a terrible thought, isn't it?
1: Apparently adds up, though, doesn't it?
4: There is no question of it. But what evidence have you? None yet. Well, then I'll help you get it. And I can do it, Mr. Dollar. I may appear to be only a wealthy, foolish old woman who dotes on her pet, Laird Douglas. But I'm not. I'm astute, shrewd, and clever. Since Peter, my husband, died, I alone have managed this estate, this financial empire. I use the word again. With my money, with my... Oh, yes, I can do it, Mr. Dollar, and Ronald will be made to pay for these terrible things that he has done.
1: I, uh, I admire your confidence.
4: Nothing. No one can stand in my way. you see. I'm only sorry that a few minutes ago you didn't keep him here, make him face it.
1: I'm going to see him now. Oh, where? At his home. I understand the estate adjoins this one.
4: Yes. But please, look out for him. Shoot first, Mr. Dollar. What? Because now he may act like the cornered rat that he is.
1: I decided to walk across to the Kenworthy estate in the hope the fresh air would help clear my thoughts. Logical as it all seemed, I didn't like what I just heard. Then luck, pure, unadulterated luck. As I walked across the broad lawn between the main house and the gatehouse, I passed the garage building with its Rolls Royce, two Cadillacs, and a station wagon. And then I saw him, Andy LaFord, alias Andrew Fortune, alias Andrew Ford, one of the cleverest second-story men in the country with a record on the west coast as long as your arm. A man who would do anything for money. He was idly going through the motion of dusting off a car. I walked past quickly, not sure whether he'd notice me or not. I hope not. For it was one of his ilk who'd had to plant the booby trap in my hotel room, who could have slipped the poison into the liquor that killed Warren Staley. I turned in at the gatekeeper's house. Hello, Mr. Dollar, I saw you at the question... I want to telephone, guy, but... quick. Uh, well, yeah, uh, right here, sir. Is something Thanks. wrong? Thanks. Operator, get me Central Police. Emergency. Good heavens, Mr. Dollar. something The man else there happened? in the garage, polishing cars. Uh, Andy? How long has he been here? Oh, a year more. Ever since the dog show at Valley Kid. Oh, what does he do?
3: Year. Oh, the driving for Mrs. Van Payton, but there's something gone... Hello? On the...
1: Give me Lieutenant Howard Homicide. Ah! After warning the old gatekeeper that I'd have his head if he said anything to anyone about my phone call, I left by the back door and went over to the Kenworthy mansion where young Ronald was waiting for me.
6: I must say, before we go any further, that I resent the way you ordered me out of the Van Python house a few minutes ago. Yeah? Well, I'm sorry. Whether you suspect me or expect me to help you in this case, it was Lonnie, hard to... you knew Warren Staley. Very well. We were the closest of friends, Confidence. All right.
1: Just how much did he really care about the Van Python estate? Fortune, whatever you want to call it.
6: To put it bluntly, he wanted none of it. And I'm afraid his aunt rather resented it. Why do you say that? Because her whole life she's been obsessed by an almost overwhelming lust for power. When Warren finally rebelled against this, she tried not to show it, but she hated him for it. Unlike my father. Oh? I feel as Warren felt. And my father and I together have been laying the groundwork for dissipating the Kenworthy estate into corporate setups that will benefit many instead of just us. Does that sound strange to you? It sounds like true philanthropy, if you mean it. You must believe me, it is, and I do mean it. I won't suffer, of course. I'll still retain some control here and there. But I'll have to work at it. Instead of just carrying on the tradition of the idle rich, I'll be a
1: man. I hope you're telling me the truth, Ronnie.
6: I believe you are. And I'd like to meet your father. You will. Needless to say, it was much harder for him to break from this tradition of financial power than for me. So perhaps you can see why I admire him above all other men. Anything else? I'll see you later.
4: I was worried about you, Mr. Dollar, going over there to see Ronald Kenworthy alone after all that has happened.
1: Yes, you should have been, Mrs. Van Pytten. Especially if you noticed that I passed by the garage on the way. What? I happened to notice someone there, and I think it answered a lot of questions for me. It was Andy Laforte.
4: Andrew? My private chauffeur?
1: Is that all he is?
4: Do you know him, Mr. Dollar?
1: Look... I took on this case, Mrs. Van Pytten, because you offered me a fee too good to be turned down and an almost unlimited expense account.
4: You haven't answered me. My... I
1: should have got wise then and there, but I thought your great passion for your dog was just an amusing foible of an immensely wealthy kind of foolish old lady. <laughs>
4: oh, Laird Douglas is a dear one, isn't he? Why, Mr. Dollar...
1: Let me add things up. A few minutes ago, you told me that thanks to your wealth and a very sharp, clever mind, you'd let nothing stand in the way of anything you chose to do.
4: Please, Mr. Dollar, I don't think I understand. All right.
1: You made a contract with Harrison Kenworthy that you'd marry him when and if Laird Douglas beat that pup of his at the dog show. An apparently silly sort of thing, yet everybody believed it. But the real reason for marriage to him was solely to acquire control of his holdings, increase this financial empire of yours. Very subtle. Kept you looking like a cute, whimsical old lady.
4: Why, this is the most absurd thing I ever heard of.
1: So I thought at first, but let me go on.
4: Oh, please do.
1: When you realized that Laird Douglas wasn't ready to beat that dog of his, rather than admit defeat, rather than lose the chance to make this marriage, you ordered the murder of the dog's handlers. (sighs) Then the contract was still in force, just delayed.
4: I won't listen to such terrible things.
1: You'll listen whether you like it or not. You learned that Kenworthy and his son were planning to dissipate their fortune and thereby put it beyond your reach. Mr. On top of this, your own nephew, Warren, wanted to do the same with your estate. This was too much.
4: What you have said is too much.
1: Then, by the time I arrive, you learned from an expert, Ray Rowland, that your dog would never stand a chance against Kenworthy's. So you wouldn't dare let him compete. At least until you'd hooked Kenworthy some other way... And part of your whole scheme was to build up evidence of attempts against you. Through the dog, of course. Though I'll bet you actually hate the mutt.
4: No, that's not true.
1: Anyhow, from the moment I talked to Ray Rowland, I was only in the way. So you tried to get rid of me. Had somebody booby-trap my luggage.
4: You have no proof.
1: Andy LaForte, this so-called chauffeur of yours, would do anything for money. And I fully intend to break him down and make him admit you hired him as a killer. Listen...
4: Listen to me. On
1: the second try, the poison liquor your nephew Warren got it instead of me. Fine, fine. Another obstacle out of your way. After all, he had opposed you,
4: Mister Dollar. How much do you want? I can make you financially independent. Then for the you rest set of... your
1: sights on Ronald Kenworthy, who was trying to break up the other empire you wanted to get your hands on. You even hoped that somehow I might help you. Shoot first, you said. You
4: don't understand. I was... Just what
1: plans you had for his old man and that warped, twisted brain of yours, I don't know. But I'm sure you had plans. Well, lady, now it's too late.
4: No, Mr. Dollar. No, it isn't too late.
1: Stay away from that drawer. You'd even shoot somebody down with your own hand if you thought it necessary, wouldn't you? But
4: it isn't necessary, Mr. Dollar. Huh? Are you sure it wouldn't be easier if I were just to give you... Say, a hundred thousand dollars and two hundred thousand. All right, Andrew.
5: Right here, Mrs. Van Python.
1: Wow, well, wow. Well. Hello, Andy. Got a license for that thing?
5: Shut up. Want me to do it now, Mrs. Van?
4: Yes, Andrew. Uh,
5: what if the servants hit a shot? Hold it, Donna.
4: Don't worry, Andrew. I'll take care of things. Haven't I always for you?
5: Yeah.
1: Yeah, sure, sure. She'll take care of things. While you're pulling that trigger, she'll blast you down so fast you won't know what hit you. Make it look like we killed each other and leave her in the clear. Quiet. She's got a gun in that drawer beside her and
5: she'll use it. You hear me, Andy? I say quiet. What you don't know is that she can't do without me. (laughs) But we can do without you. All right, Andy, wait now. Listen, will you? Now, Mrs. Van.
4: All right, Andrew? Now.
1: Thanks, Lieutenant.
4: Oh, Lieutenant. Uh, th- th- then you saw he was going to shoot down Mr. Dollar. Yes, I oh, heard yes.
3: too, Mrs. Van Pyton. Plenty. Oh, oh
4: no, you, you don't understand. Mr. Dollar had come up here to talk to me. I wanted to offer him a great deal more money for his work for me. I guess didn't I almost lie, didn't make Dollar. it. More Glad money, you keep talking said, to him so long. Got a cough drop. Is this the money? Came came oh, shut him.
1: up. You heard him.
4: I beg your pardon.
1: Clever, shrewd, astute. You're just off your rocker. You'd have to be, I guess, to start a thing like this in the first place. Well, I guess by the time the estate and inheritance laws get properly applied, the Van Pytten Empire will be spread around the way Warren wanted it. Expense account item 10, 2890, fair and incidentals back to Hartford. Total, including fees, $1,113.40. Remarks? I'm glad I'm poor. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Here's our star to tell you about next week's intriguing story. Next week, an insurance swindle that really backfired. The only trouble was it caught me right in the line of fire. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly,
3: Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote this week's story. Heard in our cast were Jeanette Nolan, Harry Bartell, Byron Kane, Jack Crucian, Bill James, James McCallion, Ken Christie, Dick Ryan, Bert Holland, Jack Edwards, and High Everback. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking.
0: Welcome back. This is such a weird story. It's not bad, but it is weird. You compare the light comedic tone of episodes one and two to the deadly serious tone of the final three episodes, and it gives you whiplash. It's like John Stone was talking to the guy at the network. Uh, All right, so I gathered that you were between doing a story that was a light, silly story about Johnny and a dog, and then you were also thinking about doing a story that was a dark commentary on the dangers and evils of inherited wealth. Which did you decide? And Johnstone just says, yes. And a really good performance by Jeanette Nolan in this. She played a lot of older women in the golden age of radio. And she manages to be believable in all aspects of her character. And I think that was particularly important at the uh, beginning because you really had to buy into the notion of her being this sort of silly old woman in order to really make it a big surprise that you didn't see coming that she was, in fact, this evil mastermind. In his book, The Who Is Johnny Dollar Matter, uh, John Abbott notes that in an interview, uh, Jack Johnstone said that he owned a Carrie Blue Terrier named Lady O'Diddy's Rollamar Mean. And so, it's likely that Johnstone-based Laird Douglas Douglas's rival, a great dog who would dominate a, a dog show and be the undisputed champion. In the face of this dog's greatness... A wealthy woman, one of the most powerful in the country, would plot multiple murders rather than hoping that her purebred could beat this dog. Because, of course, no one can bait this dog. Which was likely based on Jack Johnstone's dog. I do have to admit some confusion over the pants. Because Johnny had an item on the last expense account about the pants that were destroyed by Laird Douglas Douglas. And he repeated that line item. However, I think Johnny probably lost more than those pair of pants because Johnny said that the bag that the acid was planted in, contained spare clothes. So I'm assuming that the expense account items, despite Johnny saying that they were both for pants destroyed by Laird Douglas. Douglas, I'm just going to assume that... Johnny made a mistake, and that one of them is for the clothes destroyed in the bag. And if Harry Branson's got a problem with that, that's that's for him and Johnny to work out. Now, two quick uh, dog-related notes here. Uh, in terms of Bob Bailey, this uh, the first part called to mind a "Let George Do It" episode that Bailey did during the sitcom era. Uh, about a decade before this episode called Snookums. And second, I found a dog story while doing research on Bob Bailey. Uh, This comes from the Daily News, Los Angeles, California from June 3rd, 1952. This was a story I found in the newspaper while doing research. I didn't find anything I could use it on until this episode, so I'm going to read it. A huge fawn-colored great dane escaped from one of the cars in KHJ's parking lot and Henry Weig, the attendant, gave chase. He finally captured it, then found himself in a dilemma. He had no idea which car it had leaped from. Only identification was a caller tag stating, call me Jacqueline. Apparently, sensing his distress, Jacqueline towed him towards a Cadillac and Henry closed her inside. Later, Bob Bailey, radio sleuth of Let George Do It, got in his car and was driving out of the lot when he felt something clammy touch his ear. He turned to see what appeared to be a lion. He yelped and got out of the car in the nick of time. Henry rushed over and was explaining the mix-up when they heard a sharp whistle, then watched Jacqueline leap out of Bailey's car and race across the lot to an MG and climb in beside the driver. And that's a true story. All right. Listener comments and feedback. And we turn to YouTube, which, of course, I mentioned earlier. And uh Barbara enjoyed the Jolly Rogers fraud matter, uh, writing, uh, Good one. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Uh Barbara, appreciate the comment, and now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. I want to go ahead and thank Phil. Phil has been one of our Patreon supporters since March of 2018, currently supporting the program at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Phil. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. Please be sure to rate and review the podcast wherever you download it from. We'll be back on Tuesday with another Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar serial. But join us back here tomorrow for Dragnet. Where?
2: Hello, Sergeant. Hi. How you doing? I've done better. Yeah. Well, what happened? Williams and I were cruising. We've been keeping an eye on this cafe lately. Tonight we decided to take a look. And just as we went in, two guys left in a hurry. The back door. We followed them out into the alley. It was dark out there and I called to them. I said, hey, fellas, just a minute, I want to talk to you. They stopped? I'll say. One of them whirled. He had a gun in his left hand. He shot both of us. Left hand, huh? Williams went down and out. I went down, but I took a shot at them. No effect. And I started crawling out here to the car so I could call in. You started crawling? Yeah. Wait a minute, Emerson. Weren't there any people around by that time? Uh, Yeah, quite a few ran out after the shots. You mean nobody would help you to the car? That's right. Did you get a good look at either of the gunmen? Well, one of them was tall. I think he was a redhead. There was something funny about his nose... That's all I saw. It's too dark out there. Williams was closer. I think he got a good look.
0: I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing
1: off.